Hello and welcome to another edition of Kaleidoscope. This is Mike DeZenon recording from downtown Nicosia and via Skype, via Zoom I mean, also in Nicosia, I have with me Nelly Antoniado. Welcome Nelly. Hi, lovely to be here. Nelly, to introduce you to the listeners, you are an actress, producer and writer with over 20 years of experience performing on stage and screen in Cyprus, the UK, the US and Greece. Have I said it? Have I covered you enough? Yes, that's in a nutshell. Yes, that's absolutely what the last almost 25 years of my life has been. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're lucky you're doing what you love and you, you're you making it work because a lot of people don't get that opportunity. So um, you and I met when you, you and Magdalene Zira started your theatrical um, organization called Saisons which was an organization yeah. that wanted a feminist approach to arts and the culture. Yeah, basically, it's actually Magdalena Zira, Athena Cassio, and myself. The okay. two of them are, are theater directors, and I'm an actress, um, producer, and recently playwright. Um, Basically, how this began was Athena and Magdalena started having a conversation that I was then added to, and it was in reaction to the theater landscape that we saw developing here in Cyprus. Um, we felt that there had just been like a, a recent announcements of, of the next year's um, theater seasons. There were a lot of male-driven narratives. Uh, written by men, mostly starring men, and if not, it was women through the male gaze. And, and we felt that it wasn't um, reflective of a, a change that we saw happening in the Western world as far as theatre is concerned, um, a, a conscious shift. So what, what, you, what year are we talking about? investigating. What year are we talking about? 2019. Okay, sorry. 2019. Sorry. So, yeah, we shouldn't have been having these, um, you know, concerns in 2019, and yet they, 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 they continued to exist. And I think a lot of people were shocked when we came out and pointed out that there was this discrepancy when it came to female narratives in theatre, because I think the arts are considered a space where... Um, where, where this was never highlighted before, whereas mm -hmm. there they they have been a male-dominated sector, much as everything else. There's no reason why they shouldn't have been. Um, so we started by investigating what it meant to create theater with a feminist perspective. What it what would it what did feminism mean? How did it seep into our lives? How could making theater that changed the narrative and shifted the the the, uh, the focus being from a woman's point of view how that might have an impact or not so yeah it started in 2019 and despite covid we've been able to be active or maybe even because of covid sometimes you never know i actually think i was your first at your first performance in ayos andreas when you were having those interactive groups there would be a, a question and answer performance on the stage so to speak and then it would be a little bit more interactive so what we had done was when we started off because we wanted to investigate 
um, this relationship between the academic knowledge of what feminism is in practice and in, in activism and things like that. And we all wanted to investigate it though through the creative. Um, so what we would do was we would bring either these kind of conversations into a theater space and imbue these conversations with the theatricality of having like, we had one event where I think the, maybe the one that you had come to was with Miriam Vasiliadis, was yes. that the one where there was a Q&A afterwards? And um, then also the one Alexia Panayota did, yes. The one also that Alexia did Which with was, advertising. Yeah, so we, we chose to do these in theatrical spaces. So uh, we had people talk about um, certain things with a feminine perspective or their own personal journeys, because what we're interested in primarily is stories mm -hmm. and the untold stories of women. So we wanted to place these stories in a theatrical space and see what happened. And actually, it's from these events that we were able to then go on to create like our latest performance, which, which finished in July, which was Women Walk Home. It, it okay. stemmed from these conversations, yeah. I remember um, the questions actually, the interactive was really good because it also brought to the fore what people know and don't know about feminism because feminism is often mis uh, misunderstood. It sometimes gets a bad rap. It's sometimes a little bit too aggressive for me. Oh no, the, what people see as feminism, I find a little bit aggressive because to me, feminism is equal rights, opportunities, responsibilities for everyone. So no, it's the pie is the same and we're not, the pie, it's not a piece of pie. We're not competing for space. So to me, it's exactly. just finding. So a, for us, it was, that was, that's what um, this platform is about, investigating. Mm. Um, because we're driven as theater makers by questions. And that's what drives our creative process. So it's about investigating for us. Okay. Um, you had a few really nice um, events. And I'll pick up on a few that I followed. One of them was you did a really nice documentary or video clip with Elena Alonefti about sexual harassment in the arts. Yeah. So basically that started off. Um, because when we had begun, um, a little, maybe about a year, less than a year after we had started, the Me Too movement started mm. in Greece in 2020. Um, and I think it was 2020, if I'm not mistaken, or early or late 2019. And um, as theater makers and as people in the arts, we got asked a lot of questions, myself, Magdalena, Zineta, we, we, we would get asked questions, you know, for newspaper interviews or articles or things I wanted to understand and ask what was going on. So we felt like, what if these, because I don't think that women at that time should have been called upon to um necessarily have to share their stories and let people know who they are mm, yes <laughs> i think there needs to be a safe space where people can say things without being um judged or compelled to do so just because it's come into the forefront um so what can i can i just can i just interrupt you that's one of the reasons i got involved in podcasting i was inspired by an indian woman 
who came to Cyprus and has got her own radio station outside New Delhi. And she had said to me, radio was good in India because a lot of the time, the more conservative communities don't want their women's faces to be shown. So the radio presents an opportunity to have a voice without having a face, which yeah, makes you exactly. say you feel safe, makes you feel safer and not exposed. And I don't think anyone should be compelled to have to share anything, but also should be able to share in a safe space. So what mm. we had done without really knowing what was going to come of it is we created an anonymous platform online where we couldn't see who was writing and we invited any woman um, in the arts to or any person to share their stories of abuse um, mainly sexual abuse and and any feelings of violation that they might have had um, in their you know work life uh, it was surprising how many answers started pouring into this document. It was an open document that people could add to, but not edit, you know. Mm. Um, and it was surprising. And all of a sudden we found ourselves with this uh, material. So that you that had to do something with. Yeah, and at the same time, we had already started searching for, you know, verbatim documentary kind of investigating that form as well. Mm. So we felt like a narrative was developing before our eyes that had to be shared. Mm. And it, it was, uh, so with Elena, Magdalena was able to make this, take this material and make, give it some shape and mm. form. And along with Elena Lonefti, we basically, you know, on a non-existent budget, budget you know, that's <laughs> like ridiculously non-existent and calling in many, many favors from many friends. Um, we shot this in a day in an old abandoned factory. And what was, I think, the greatest achievement that came from this was that it was shown in various festivals all over the world. And that's the audience that it was meant to be seen by. The people who make film, who are mm. in the industries, who it, it's not for consumption in by, you know, general consumption. It needs to be seen by people who are part of this industry. So, um, what, um, so what you actually did was you took conversations from the online platform and had women perform them. Yes. Well, basically, not conversations. It was a platform where people shared their stories. So we took yes, their that's stories what I mean, in their yes. words. Yeah. So we took their stories in their words, and we had women and one man perform them. Oh, yes, um, I remember. Yeah, uh, which gave it, you know, a bit of a. It was kind of terrifying, actually, when he when he spoke. Um, so yeah, so we felt that at least you know we that a, a goal was achieved by sharing this with a, a broader festival film community. And how was it received? I think, you know, because of COVID, we weren't able to go to the festivals. They, these were like those remote festivals and mm -hmm. things like that. We were able to go to one. Um, by many people, there was thanks for sharing stories and for us for them being able to see themselves reflected and their experiences reflected. 
by others. I think there was a little bit of, oh, these things don't happen. These things don't really happen. Or, you know, this is a very small, it's, it wasn't a small um, cross-section. It was a broad one. Um, so it mixed. I would say it was a mixed bag. Okay. I remember, I mean, in most cases, you need to be reminded and have it in your face, told in your face to realize that it's probably happened to you as well. And you haven't um, defined it or you haven't given it a name because well, I, I think to... that that, yeah, I think that's what Me Too did. Though. Mm. I think exactly, which is how we, we, we came to this. That was it, the realization. Because I remember when, uh, you must remember when that young British girl was raped by the 11 Israelis. And we, I was very active and we went to the court case and everything. And I remember three early 20s Greek Cypriot upstanding girls sending me private messages on Facebook and thanking me for being their voice because they had been raped earlier and when they were younger. And they actually hadn't realized that is what it was. Exactly. So to me, this exactly. is it's actually putting it out there, giving it a name, and giving it a name without the shame. Yeah, and I think that that's what drives our work as as Project Season Women is the sharing of stories and the power of storytelling, um, and the safety of the space that you can actually say it and say it, and you sh you know, firstly, you know, you're not alone. You're never exactly. alone. In these stories, you it's never only you that it's happened to. And I think there's a lot of comfort in that because then you relax a bit and you talk about it and the shame passes. And even if and even I think, especially when it comes to theater, where where theater is a shared experience between an audience and a and, and the performer, and also especially with documentary theater, where you know that these are words that have come from someone as well. I think that even if there are things that you haven't experienced, because you do in the moment of the telling of the story, mm -hmm. it becomes, uh, it, it adds a, a certain level of understanding, I think, and yes. of compassion and empathy to the human experience. Absolutely. Um, it also makes you step back. Added, I think it also yeah. takes a step back. You step a bit back because some of us have also judged in the past. I think everyone judges. Yes. I think it's like human then, nature to judge. And, and then when and you think, actually hear it said with empathy or when you hear the personal story and you hear it more than once from different people, you begin to, your level of judgment drops. Yeah, okay. I think it's a level of judgment drops because your level of understanding also elevates. It's like, a, you know. Yes, like a, it balances out, yes. A balancing, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, very okay. Okay, no, that was very important because, I mean, the time with me too, it opened up a lot of space, especially in the Cypriot context where we don't talk about these things. Yeah. <laughs> these and, don't and happen think, here. Plus, I think also because it's a small community, it's always safer to, to be able to have a platform that's anonymous and to be able to talk about things without fearing for your job or for your, mm. you know, um, being judged. Uh, or whatever might come with sharing something very personal. Okay. Okay, the next project you did that I was really, really fascinated with because I, as a young child, I used to love the Greek myths. Okay? I knew them all, and my mother brought me this beautiful set of beautifully bound, of all the mythology. Um, is your A Thousand Ships. Yeah. 
because there was... again, I had took a step back and suddenly reassessed all these stories that I'd adored as a child and still do, even though my perspective has changed. But it changes the whole way you look at it, things. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It does. I mean, too, that that changed my, my. I think, the, 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 it completely changed my way of thinking. And, and especially if, if as Greeks, we are taught mythology is so imbued in our culture from little kids' bedtime stories that we get about, you know, the Greek gods and mythology and things like that. And... I'd never even noticed how women were portrayed in Greek myths until it was pointed out to me. Um, So, yeah, that was A Thousand Ships is a novel written by Natalie Haynes, who also does a wonderful stand-up comedy uh, podcast on on BBC, a radio show on BBC called Natalie Haynes Stand-Up for the Classics. She's a classicist, and she... Um, a classicist stand-up comedian writer. Um, when we were thinking about the kind of activities we wanted to do, we recalled that the British Museum had done an all-day reading of the Odyssey mm. and at some point of the Iliad. That was like it had been you know, you could follow it that day online and you could see all the readings by all these famous actors and everything. And we and and, and we figured what if there was something um like that but for women, mm. not this. And that's when Magdalena had Magdalena had, had met Natalie Haynes before because Magdalena is also a classicist, apart from being a director. And she said, you know, I'm reading this amazing book by Natalie Haynes where she tells the story of Troy and the mm. Iliad through the perspective of every single female character named mm. in the in the epic poem. And it just felt absolutely natural to, you know, it was like a, a perfect moment. Yeah. Um, so we reached out to Natalie and she was kind enough to allow us to do an all day reading at the in Nicosia um, Festival mm. here in, in Cyprus. This was in late, it was November 2019, I think. Um, we were lucky enough to have Natalie come and she was accompanied by Professor Edith Hall as well. And they were able to also give a talk on, on shifting the perspective of the female characters and giving voice to the stories of the women in, uh, in epic writing and in basically the foundational myths of our society. I remember and going to that had talk. This all day. I remember going to that talk and being totally riveted. Totally riveted because, yeah. as you said, we grew up on, on mythology. And I liked it more than, say, my brother and sister because I'd founded a whole new world. So the talk, I was riveted, totally riveted. Sorry, I interrupted you. Carry on. No, yeah. I, well, what, what was there one thing that, that stood out to you more than others? I don't know. It's, it's, I think it's... For, I, think for me, stood, was, I think the one thing that stood out to yeah. me is they talked about the fact that in the titles they mainly use the names of the men they tend to leave out the names of the women if they can i think that's the yeah. one general thing yeah. that stood out with me 
that even though in most of the stories yeah. the woman is the prime character or she's the driving thing, the title reflects the man, not the woman's role. And, you know, um, what happened that day here in Nicosia when we did an all-day reading and these women's stories were vocalized and mm -hmm. heard and, and spoken and said these wonderful stories that Natalie Haynes gave them based on, you know, actual, the, the, the mythology and, and findings. Um, it felt like a taking back. It felt like an ownership, like a, back a the taking stories. back. Yeah, it felt like a, a physical taking back and embodiment of stories that we were not a part of and a placement of women in a two thousand and you know two and a half thousand year old history, and you never um, recorded it. You didn't record it. I'm assuming, or did you? Well, we did record it, but not for a general. Oh, you know, okay. It was, I think it went on for like fifteen hours, sixteen hours. People could come in and out, and it was this. But because of it, um, you know, the next day after Natalie and Edith left to go to, to, to England, they happened to be invited to an opening of an exhibit on Troy at the British Museum where Natalie's words from the ships were featured as part okay. of the exhibit. And they mentioned what they had just, you know, lived through in Cyprus. So because of that, we were invited to the British Museum to do the exact same thing. So it all came full circle for us because what had started off as an inspiration and a, an answer or some, a seed that came from an event that the British Museum did came full circle because we were able to give the women those same voices in the same space um, surrounded by objects of antiquity uh, and the marbles and the, you know. I remember and, that and time. I remember stories. you going to the British Museum. I think that's an incredible honor for you as well. It was. You gave, it was an you gave a voice to those women in the perfect context, but it also took you out of the Cyprus context. Yeah, it was an amazing honor um, and an amazing event, like especially that the final chapter Natalie read in the in the hall with the Parthenon marbles and surrounded by thousands of people, it, it just felt like a perfect coming together. And, and, you know, we had women at the time later come up to us in tears who had been refugees of war because it is the story of women as victims of war. Um, yes, it is. And it, it puts the women in that story as victims of what is often perceived as heroism. And it shows the brutal reality of these women's lives. Um, so we had women who came to us in tears who had been refugees or who, who had been victims of war. And they felt like their stories had been told. So, you know, it was, it was a perfect, another perfect moment. Um, and Please, a good, when a we great finish, experience. send me the name of her book. Natalie's book. Yes, it's okay. Natalie Haynes, and the book is A Thousand Ships, yeah. Okay, but she's, I'll pick it. She's gone on to give, you know, she started off with this, but she's gone on to give voice to Medusa now with her, her, her not latest book, the previous one was... Um, Medusa, Medusa's got a horrible story, and she's 
turns out to be this villain or witch and yet she was the victim i mean it's a horrible yeah. story well, you, you should read that you should read natalie's <laughs> book now um, <laughs> I will, I it's will. called stone blind so she so she she does that and she's gone on to, to give voice to a lot of women of antiquity and create create stories for them so it's been it was a gift to work with um natalie what was a gift to see her in action and your work it was a gift because as i said i totally I, i was totally riveted but let's move on to Let's leave the theater or the narrative of Baytum theater as you call it and go to Zmiri my love. Ah. It was okay because you're an actress as well. Yeah, and it was yeah. a is was it your first long feature or have you been in others? No, it was my first feature film I think of that to that extent. I mean I've been in others short films but not you know there's not that much opportunity in Cyprus to be in, in feature films but this was in Greece. Um so Zmirna my beloved or Zmirna as it's called in some markets is a play written by Mimi Denisi mm-hmm. that I was lucky enough to be part of the original cast back in 2014 actually in Greece and then um something that was going to be for a few months ended up being a three year run and a, a great success that went on to become a film based on Mimi's um uh, script that she wrote off of the play again you know what i love about these kind of stories and i think for years i've been drawn to them without having the language to pinpoint it or to the language to recognize what i've been doing um but you know mimi denisi is a woman who wrote the story of the destruction of zmirna mm-hmm. through female told through female characters it's told through the women she's often dismissed as being a wife who doesn't understand when she asks her husband you know when she shares her political um concerns with her husband she's told to you know don't bother yourself you don't understand where as she turns out being right she's able to see what what you know developing people were not yeah um so when the film happened it's such a You know that I don't know do you, have you heard of the Bechdel test do you know what the Bechdel test is no so it's a it's a test in film and in and in TV and in theater and and in novels sometimes you have to have it it started off as a as a film test and it's based off of a comic strip mm-hmm. um and it you have to have two women in a scene talking about something other than a man. Okay. Which when you start looking for it, you will find that it's a rarity to have two women in a scene without any men in it and where they are talking about anything else but a man or a relationship with a man. And this is and called Bechdel. Bechdel, B E C H D E L. Bechdel okay. test. So Zmirna does that bucket loads it's it's fantastic um and it was such an experience to to be able to be in Greece and and be part of such a significant story that's told that now because this play has been around for almost 10 years well 10 years i guess um and the film had such success we think that the story of the destruction of smyrna is something that was 
you know, in the general public consciousness. It mm. wasn't. That wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. And and Greece's responsibility in allowing it to happen was also not. So, you know, there's 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 a lot that reflects as well what's going on today where the big powers allow for things to happen. Um, okay. So, yeah, you actually, yeah, that was great. And that... Uh, that came out in 2020 oh one no 22 22 yes 2000, a little this, bit before 20 yeah is this available on netflix there are um, not not yet i think it's going to be i think it's on apple tv in the united states um not in all countries and i think that it will soon be on netflix or some Okay. I'm not sure what exactly. I'll keep it in mind. I'll keep it in yeah. mind. Um, and now I'll take you to the last piece of the conversation to your, uh, you, Magdalena's latest success, A Woman Walk Home, which I think it's another thing. It was part of, it's always been around, but it wasn't part of the consciousness of the Greek separate community. It's women's voices, it's women role models that we never acknowledged as role models. And I think, I'm sure you didn't expect the success you did get in the end. So tell us about Women Walk Home. So the first ever event that we organized as Project Season Women was to launch it, was uh, we... Maria Angeli from Mediterranean Institute for Gender Studies had, uh, we had worked with her and a, a study was commissioned to create a timeline for the untold stories of women of Cyprus of the last 100 years, mm -hmm. of the last century. And Maria put together this fantastic timeline that you can actually see on our website, it's Project dash season.org uh, where she put the milestones of like the first woman taxi driver, the first woman doctor, the first uh, woman to be elected into office, you know, things like that. And in this timeline, there was also the women walk home marches. After the, the launch of our event, after the presentation of this timeline, there, there was a conversation started building and we said openly that what we're looking for is the untold stories of women and how to bring the, of Cyprus and how to bring them to the to the forefront and how to develop them and see them and learn them and, and let people know about them. And one thing that that was very prevalent was how these women had done this thing. What they had done is they they wanted to show the world. They felt like the the rest of the world was becoming a little bit um, ignorant of the problem in Cyprus and the fact that there was a human rights occupation, but also a human rights violation in that the occupied army, occupying army would not allow free movement within your own country. Mm -hmm. And they wanted the world to know that that was happening, happening as a means to promote um a solution okay to pr to promote uh to help along the talks that were going on at the time uh between the two communities so 
when we heard about this, it was like it was like a little bit of a shock because I I remember, and then we were talking about it with Magdalena, she had a very similar memory. My mother returning home late at night after having gone to one of the marches and filled with such energy and elation and sense of purpose and uh, accomplishment. Mm. But it had been erased from my memory. I had forgotten that it had existed. I, it wasn't something I was constantly conscious of. So we started off very, you know, started looking for these women. Started, thankfully, Cyprus is small, so you can find them. <laughs> well, as um, your mother had already been involved, she might have also led you to women. She wasn't involved. She went. Okay. She wasn't involved in the organization. She was someone who, like thousands, tens of thousands of women in Cyprus, saw the announcement and felt compelled to go. Okay. Um, so I met Alexandra Talidis by chance, and I told her, oh "My God, your name came up, and you know we wanted." So after talking with her, she introduced us to others and others and others, and it grew. And within the around two and a half years, we interviewed over, I think, forty women. Um, and from these interviews, we shaped the play that became Women Walk Home. It's a verbatim play. It's based specifically on words said and shared by these women. Um, we came to it with a question of why have we forgotten about it? But we left, I think, with many questions. And more importantly, I think one question was what would have happened had I grown up in a world where I knew that women had made such active, brave choices to not sit around and wait for others to, to bring about solutions, but to do about the something about the situation they lived in. And I, if I remember correctly, they were organized, these women walk home demonstrations. I can't remember exactly how many of them. They were organized with military precision, last minute, of where shockingly, they were going. <laughs> shockingly military precision. I mean, these were not, you know, a bunch of women. And, and this is one of the problems that they were often portrayed as a bunch of women who on a whim decided to go off and, you know, march towards their homes. That's not what this was. This was months of meticulous, uh, planning. precise planning that that factored in every single Possibility. possibility and found a solution for everything from what would happen what they could do to stop women from hurting themselves on the barbed wire they 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 had one person bring along foam covers for that they had other people cut that they had other people create diversions they had other you know but beyond that they also made sure that the world was watching they traveled around the world and they reached out and they lobbied to get people from abroad to come here and exactly. witness their action because by witnessing their action they could then go on to their countries and tell them you know i'm a woman and i went there and i was invited and and i saw what happens in cyprus and it's true that this is what happens in cyprus so and i mean they they did this and then they went to greece 
And yes, and which again, over. we had never heard of that. We exactly. never knew, you know, and not only we never knew when we went, you know, what they did is they, the, the prime minister of Turkey had been invited to Greece and had said that he was going to go like in his, in the schedule that they published that what his schedule was going to be was that he, they were going to go to the, to the, um, Parthenon, to the Acropolis. Yeah. And these women said, Within like a week earlier, these women said, why should they be allowed to visit the Parthenon if I can't go home and I can't go to the ancient sites of my own country? Within a week, they had gone. They had one like one group go first and, and, and check out, you know, scan and everything, check it all out. It's like it's like something out of a film. I don't know how to explain that, how, how they went about. It's like a heist or something, you know. And, and yeah, I mean, then the yes, they were able to pass things. You know, they they arrived in Greece and they took over the Acropolis, the Parthenon, and they hung a huge banner that tens of women, you know, spent day and night uh, sewing. Oh. This huge banner that could have been seen from all of Athens, saying that Cyprus is occupied. And explaining to the tourists and handing out, you know, papers explaining to them why they were doing this and why they were stopping them from, you know, their attempt to see this place. Uh, when we played, when we performed this in Athens, in Greece over the summer, we, we performed our play at the Athens Epidaurus Festival. When we performed it there, and not just there, and in Cyprus, but there it had a different resonance. You could never hear a pin drop. You could hear a pin drop when these things were happening because people were in such shock and awe that these women had done this and they didn't know. People don't know. And they were actually arrested and beaten up by the police, were they not? When the well, they got yes. the, the message got across and the timing was perfectly planned. So Yeah, exactly. So, so let's go to the burning question of this, because this is what I and a lot of feminist belief we are always looking for women role models especially in cyprus these women are the perfect role models yet none of the youth know about them none of the women know about them why is this not taught to the schools and why are we not pushing to get it taught, included in this in the curriculum i'm ho i i have um i think that what our play did which is i you know like you said, we didn't expect it to be such a success, which has been fantastic. But um, there was such a greater amount of young people seeing our play than we're used to seeing in the theater, in the audiences. And this gave, gives us such hope that there's a thirst and a need and a willingness to, to find these things out. At the same time, the one thing we constantly got told was and asked was, why is this not taught in the theater, in the mm -hmm. schools? This is why we did this play, because I feel that if I had been taught the story of my country, when I was taught, let's say, about Eoka, about the liberation in the 60s and the, the, from the British... Um, Colon colonization. When we were British colon colonization. And we were... There was a... a a fight from by the youth, especially by youth, to free ourselves from British rule. When I was taught this, and I think it's still the case, 
I, that, that, you know, round about that date, on the walls of my class, and of the classroom walls, are pictures of young men. Mm, no young women. None of women. None of women. And there were so many young girls who were part of this um, fight and, 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 and sacrificed things and were put in jail and were made, you know, were tortured. And we don't know their stories. And if I'm not part of my history growing up, if I'm not taught my country's history and I cannot see myself in it, then how can I learn to care about my country's future? Exactly. I agree. Um, and that's what drove us, I think, to this story. And as we've been asked and, and we've talked and we've been invited to talk, thankfully, at conferences that happen now about this, where the question is raised by educationalists and academics as to why it's not taught. I have faith that things, that the seeds are there for things to change now. Well, inshallah, I hope so, because if I hear a, if I hear the story of my country, the history of my country, only through the eyes of men, I've missed half of it. I always tell the story of I was sent to, I, I used to I write freelance, and I was sent to interview Dorita Voscarido, who, who makes bread, the traditional, uh, let me stop uh, yeah, for me, the, okay. Yeah. And I thought to myself the time, how, how much can this person talk to me about bread? How long is this interview going to be? It actually turned out to be a three-hour interview because I never realized that every piece of bread that you give at memorials, at weddings, at engagements, at Christmas, there's a story to every piece of bread, and this is the part of our culture that we actually are not learning about. And it's the stories that the woman, the part of the story that the woman complete because they were the ones making the bread or putting the decorations. I mean, there was a beautiful part that they never used to give Christmas presents, but they used to make little animal shapes, put a little hole in the one corner, tie red ribbon. They would tie it on the child's hand and the child would go out and his gift, but also be a little snack. I mean, these little oh. things that are... Why are we only learning about wars and people dying and takeovers and nonsense? It's important. But if you learn about the three dimension of it, it's much richer. Exactly. And it, and it's more inclusive. So I think we need to find a way to push for it. And if you need any help, please let Thank me know. You. Because I think it's, I mean, that's this is why I started Kaleidoscope. Because of the voices, yeah. the voices of women. There's got to be a space for women to speak and when share I their first, experiences when i first started kaleidoscope i said to myself who's gonna speak to me because i mean i'm a nobody and i'm not underestimating myself and then i made i reached out to all these women none of them said no because they hadn't been asked before in fact only two women said no and both of them were journalists which was the most surprising part of it so yes we do need to make spaces for women for women's stories yeah. Yeah, need, uh, and it's such a it can be healing and enlightening and uh, it, it, it enlarges the community that we have um, it's it's what you said it's just exactly what you said it gives other dimensions mm. and in fact a lot of, a lot of identity it more, a lot of it is more loving I mean it yeah, includes so, things like the the baptism ritual or the marriage ritual which is part of everything. Anyway, yeah. I think we... Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. 
Um, anything else you want to say before we close this conversation? Um, no, I think, thank you for having me. It's been wonderful to, to rehash the, the, the history of, of what we've been doing the last few years and, and the chance to, to talk about everything with you this way. It's been, it's been wonderful. Thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing them with me and let me know when anything new develops because, you know, I'm always a fan. Thank always you. a fan. Thanks, so thank, thank you, you Nelly, so for thank you, Nelly, for being with us. So thank you to the listeners for listening. And Nelly, all of us must stay safe and be kind. That's all I wish for us for 24 going forward. Thank you. Thank you. The first trilingual podcast station of Cyprus. Island Talks. Open, diverse, free.